<laughs> they did make it out of the maze. I can, I can promise you, they they all all made it out of the maze, and I think I think had a had a good time. Uh, all right, we're going to uh, continue. Um, oh, I just need the AV room to go forward one slide, and then I think I'll have it from there. Uh, continue our sermon series through the book of Galatians, and um, Galatians is is written to a group of churches in central, what today would be central Turkey, um, pretty much smack dab in the middle of it. And uh, the apostle Paul had been to to visit these churches, and uh, or had really started them. He he'd gone there and preached and started them. And it was beginning something new. Uh, he was commissioned by a church, uh, not actually in Jerusalem, but a church in Syria, in, in Antioch. And this church said, the Holy Spirit prompted them, and, and they said, we want to send Paul and Barnabas to go and do something new. We want you to go to other parts of the world, as we know it, and begin new churches and include the Gentiles, include people that aren't Jews. And so in that sense, it was kind of an, an experiment, <laughs> perhaps, for them. This was, let's see how it goes. Is this really something God wants us to do? And if it is, we should, we should do it. And so Paul has gone, and, and in about... You know, sort of, we think about 18 months, he's planted uh, several churches. And now he comes back to, uh, he, he's heard things about them and perhaps received messages from them or concerning them. And he is disturbed by what he hears. And so he has written this letter back to these uh, fairly young churches, young Christians, uh, about his concerns. I want you, though, to imagine these churches in Galatia. There, it's, Galatia is like a, a state, a, a province. And imagine if you will, that a Jewish elder who has sat in the synagogue for years, uh, it's his family's synagogue. He was raised there and he stayed there ever since. And um, he hears Paul and Barnabas who show up one day and they begin teaching. And they explain in the synagogue one Sabbath how it is that this person named Jesus fulfills the Old Testament and how the, the, this person named Jesus is actually the Messiah and this person named Jesus, all that he did, that he, he died but that God raised him from the dead again. And, and they go through and they, they're talking about this and this, this elder that has been in this synagogue, been, been in this Jewish community for so long, he is moved by it convicted by it, and decides to follow Jesus. And he's not alone. Also, there were other families that, that decided to do the same. But some of them were, were not Jews. They were Gentiles that, that from the city. 
but that had sort of been friends of the synagogue for a long time, and they also go and, and decide to follow Jesus. But living in this city, miles and miles away from Jerusalem, this elder has had the role within his synagogue of reminding, of warning his community of the dangers of consorting with the pagan Gentiles. They do things that make you unclean. They eat food that God doesn't approve. They, they mingle in the courts of the, the pagan temples to pagan gods. Uh, they have different moral standards. And so he warns his members Year after year, be very careful how you interact with the Gentiles. But he's heard Paul and he's heard Barnabas teach and, and he's not alarmed when Gentiles are invited to become followers of Jesus too. If Jesus is the Messiah, then you know, there's a place for the Gentiles in the kingdom of, of God. But then Barnabas and Paul leave. And this Jewish elder suddenly finds himself in a position that he could not have imagined just a couple of months earlier. He is now a, a leader in a group of Christians, in a, in a church of both Jews and Gentiles. What's his message going to be? How's he going to navigate this? What sort of questions might he have? Maybe you can think of some. Should he forget every warning that is given his Jewish community um, about the Gentiles? Should he require that the Gentiles respect Jewish traditions? Should he require that the Gentiles observe and participate in Jewish festivals and traditions? After all, they're all following a Jewish Messiah. And as he's working through this, probably with you know a couple of other elders and, and different people and they're talking about it as a community but what it's going to look like um, then there are some Jewish Christians that show up on the doorstep and you can just imagine how pleased he was to have people that have been Christians longer than he has who have more experience than he has and and they 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 come and they seem to know what they're they're talking about and they insist that both the law the Old Testament law, and the apostles from the church in Jerusalem require all Gentile men who convert to following Jesus to first be circumcised. And what is our friendly elder going to say at this point? Oh, my slides didn't make it in. Okay. Because Paul hadn't mentioned circumcision. 
Was that an oversight? Did he just forget about it? He's got to decide. The law certainly requires the Jewish, the, the Gentile men be circumcised to become Jews. And the teachers that are visiting from out of town, they seem very confident that the Jerusalem church and that the apostles agree with them. So maybe this leader who's still getting to know Jesus, still trying to figure out how to do things. It makes sense to him that all these Gentiles that are now part of his church that he leads are going to need to be circumcised. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, we see here that Paul is defending himself against the charge that he is a people pleaser. He says this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Why would people label Paul a people pleaser? Because Paul is just saying, hey, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, do whatever's easy for you. Do whatever's easy. Yeah, that circumcision thing, you don't need that. You know, just come on. Come on by, you know, and, and join us and fit in. And, and he says, and, and so you can see why there would be people that would say, you know what Paul's doing? He's just disregarding the law. He's like, that's the cornerstone of who we are as God's people. It identifies the Jews as the Jews, not as Jews, but as God's people. It's the covenant that they have with God. And Paul has just thrown that out the window. You know why he did that? Because Paul wants to be able to go back to Antioch and say, hey, look, I've got hundreds of people that have given their lives to Christ. He wants to be able to go back and say, there are these big churches. He wants to, to become famous. He wants people to speak about him for thousands of years. He's just making it easy for folks to come in and not, not really uh, seeking commitment from them. He's a people pleaser. And he does that in order to promote himself. And so Paul writes and he says, if I was really trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay. So there's an old story. It's not just the Christians that, that struggle with this. The uh, Jewish writer Josephus tells a, a an account of a king from a sort of area north of Israel, uh, Armenia, and um, he meets a, a Jew in his town or city. And the Jew, over time, converts the king's wives, and they say, we want to become Jews. They're impressed by the morals and standards and, and faith and convictions, and so the, the wives become. And then they sort of convince the king. He's like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll become a, a Jew. And uh, then he gets to circumcision, and, and he's ready to go. But his, uh, his mother actually comes and says, you know, if you do that, there's no going back. And so the people that you are king over, they may not you know, be happy 
that you've made this type of commitment to one God and you've you know, rejected all of their gods. And so he comes up with this compromise that he does everything Jewish except that. And, and it seems to be going along quite okay. The, the Jew that had converted him um, says, yeah, look, I, that, that makes sense. That, that'll work. And, and everything's hunky-dory until a little while later, another traveling Jew comes in and um, he says, no, that, that's, that's not right. <laughs> if you're going to be a Jew, you have to go all the way in. And uh, there's no sort of Judaism or worship of God light. And so, according to Josephus, this king ended up being um, circumcised. But it's, it just illustrates the different views, the tension that was there around it, the conflict, even within uh, Judaism, never mind Christianity. And it was challenged that it was for Gentiles. And so you can see how Paul would come across as a people pleaser. And so here's the, the question that I think this elder might have had for, for Paul. He said, he might have asked Paul, are you just making this all up? Right? I know this is your first missionary journey, right? You've left Antioch, you're here, you're mixing with the Gentiles for the first time. Are you just flying by the seat of your pants and you're saying, oh yeah, that'll work, right? Yeah, let's not make it hard, right? Let's get you in. We'll deal with that down the road. Or, or the folks I leave here will deal with that down the road. Okay? And, and, and so are you, do you really know what you're doing, Paul? Um, or, or even worse, are you like tricking us? Are you like okay getting us in trouble with God for whatever reason? Like are your motives actually not even pure? And so where should our friendly Jewish Christian elder turn for answers. And while we're thinking about this question for the churches in Galatia, I think we should also ask ourselves the question, where should we turn for answers when we encounter situations where we're uncertain what's the correct next step to take? You may not have noticed, but we're in church, so the right answer is God. No, no. But, but that's kind of, you know, <laughs> that's a big answer, right? Uh, pretty much any question can be answered like that. So where do, we, where do we turn? How do we turn to God for answers? Well, let's start, let's look at what Paul does. Paul, is, we're in Galatians, I know reading was from Acts, as it portrayed there, described there, Paul's conversion. But in, in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, and uh, I'm really working mostly today through 11, uh, through the end of the chapter 1, from 11 on. Paul goes to great pains to lay out the authority that he has for teaching these churches. He's like, you didn't know me two years ago. 
right? And I know I blew into town and I taught you stuff about Jesus and, and it was new and it was exciting and you wanted to follow that. And, and then I had to leave, you know, because people wanted to kill me. And, um, and, and, he, and he says, I, I know that was hard. And I came back and I made some of you elders and leaders in the church and put you in a, a difficult situation. And, and maybe I didn't get a chance to go over my resume with you and lay out all my qualifications, you know, in a lot of detail because I was focused on Jesus, not on me. But now I see that we've come to a point where, where it's going to be beneficial for me to let you know who I am, right? To, to let you know how God has worked in my life, how it is that I've been prepared and equipped for this ministry that I am undertaking amongst the Gentiles. I didn't just get there and be surprised to find that there were Gentiles in the city, in the Roman city of um, whichever one you want to pick. And so he, he's wants to defend himself is really what he's doing here and, and saying no I, I'm qualified to teach you I'm qualified to lead you and where does Paul get his authority for teaching how non-Jews can become children of God and there's going to be three concerns that he addresses the first one is that he's making it up Okay, and so he's going to address that. The second is that he was trained by the apostles. Now, the, the, the issue if he's trained by the apostles in Jerusalem is that they become the senior apostles and he becomes the junior apostle. And if ever there's something that somebody's not sure of, then they'll just bypass Paul and go and check in with the senior apostles in Jerusalem. Okay, so, so Paul's going to say, no, I wasn't. I wasn't trained by them. We'll get into that. And, or is it something else that makes him qualified? And from the very first words of his letter that we saw last week, Paul has argued that he is a full apostle. He is no junior apostle. Now, the 12, they received the title or the role of apostles because they accompanied Jesus throughout his ministry they heard they knew jesus personally they heard him speak they saw him do things and so that um, equipped them trained them qualified them to be leaders in the church because they had an experience imagine somebody else that just walks in the door and says oh i was baptized at pentecost and uh, i've got great leadership skills i i you know, I've been the CEO of a Fortune 500 company in the Roman Empire, and, uh, and, and now I'm a Christian, I think I can be a leader. Yeah? Here's, how can you use me? And they would say, nope, sorry. The qualifications are that you spent time with Jesus. You spent three years with Jesus, that you followed him around, that you saw him uh, not only perform miracles, you saw the way he interacted and treated people. You, you heard him teach and and you were trained as he questioned and so that was the qualifications of the 12 in jerusalem what about paul he didn't have that experience he didn't follow jesus around he followed christians around but only because he was chasing him to throw him into jail right and so he, he didn't he he wasn't qualified in the sense of the 12, you could see how that could count against him in the eyes of some people 
that he, he spoke to. And so in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Right? He pulls out the big guns. Right? I'm sent by God and Jesus. Okay? And then down in verse 11, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached is not of human origin. So, I didn't make this up. <laughs> That's the first thing. I didn't make this up. The second thing, he says, is I did not receive it from any man. Nobody taught it to me. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He doesn't give us a lot of detail about that. Um, we read how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Um, but that really wasn't a time for Jesus to lay out the whole gospel to Paul there. Right? Uh, in fact, Paul had to have another disciple. When he got to Damascus, another disciple, Ananias, came and taught him and answered his questions and instructed him. So uh, even, even though he encountered Jesus on that, on that road, uh, that doesn't seem to be the, the moment that he's referring to. But he still is able to say, I received this gospel, this revelation from Jesus Christ. And so God has spoken to Paul in a very uh, specific way to give him the message. Throughout the rest of the chapter then and even into chapter 2, the Apostle Paul describes his life experiences. And, and clearly he sees God working in these life experiences. He begins by describing his formal education in Jewish law. Not only the knowledge of the Old Testament uh, or, or the Pentateuch, the Torah, uh, the first five books there, but also it talks about the traditions of the, the Jews, the, the practices, the the different things that they, they did and the ways that they lived. And then after his conversion um, to, to be following Jesus, then he uh, spends time in Arabia. Okay? Probably he took a pilgrimage to Mount, Zion, uh, to, to Mount Sinai. That, that's quite likely a place where Moses had had his encounter and, and heard from God. The prophet Elijah had likewise uh, gone down into that area and, uh, and, and met with God there. Uh, it's a big place, but uh, it's, it's a distinct possibility that that's where he went. And after spending time in Arabia, then he returns to Damascus. And all this time, he's learning about Jesus, he's learning about life, as a Christian, as part of the Christian community. The other apostles have had very little influence on him. He hasn't spent time in Jerusalem. right? He hasn't gone to the apostolic school of the saints, you know, that's set up in the temple courts. Right? He's, he's just down by himself in Arabia. He's 
back up to Damascus, out of the mainstream. But then finally, Paul does come back to Jerusalem. And when he does, he stays with the Apostle Peter. He visits briefly with James, the brother of Jesus. And while he appreciates their endorsement of his ministry and his message to the Gentiles, he didn't come to them cap in hand seeking their approval. He'd received his commission from God. He knew what it was that he was to do. God told him from the very beginning that he had selected him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And finally, in chapter 2, really from verse uh, 3 through 5, we see that in light of the controversy over circumcision, Paul returns to Jerusalem. And this time he meets meets with James, Peter, and John. Some of the more well-known apostles and leaders in the church. And once more, they formally endorse Paul's gospel message to the Gentiles. Not that Paul himself felt that he needed their endorsement yet again, but this should put to bear the um, claims that he's a lone ranger, preaching his own version of a diluted gospel without circumcision in order to inflate his conversion numbers and build his personal following. You see, he's, he's gone to Jerusalem twice. He's been open with them about what he's doing, not seeking their permission, but he appreciates their endorsement. And he says, so he's able to say, look, I'm, I'm my own man working for God, doing what God has told me to do. I'm not beholden to the Jerusalem church or, or to those apostles there. I'm beholden to God. And, and I have that authority. Nonetheless, when I have met with those people in Jerusalem, They agree with me. And so whoever it is, churches in Galatia, that have come in and told you otherwise, they're wrong. Okay? They're wrong. Because I have authority from God. I've been sent by God. And the apostles agree with me that the gospel for the Gentiles is the same gospel as for the Jews. And that is that our relationship with God is mediated through the Messiah, not through circumcision or through the Jewish nation uh, or membership in the Jewish nation. So where does Paul get his authority? I want to suggest that there are four, four places. The first is in the study of Scriptures and in his formal training. We see this in verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. He then talks about destroying the church. But in verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father, fathers. So there are two things here. One is the, the uh, study of Scripture the formal, both personal and formal. But the other thing then is the traditions of his faith community, right? his faith traditions that had been passed down. Um, and, and they had formed him into who he was 
as a committed um, dis- believer in God, right? But then he, he comes down and, and he has this further experience. I said he goes to Arabia. We see that in verse 17. And, uh, and so in his time in Arabia, he has this just this alone time with God. So what is it? Where does his authority come from? Where does Paul go to get his answers? One, he can fall back on his knowledge and training in Scripture. Two, he has the traditions of his faith community, uh, whether it be his parents and his grandparents, you know, whatever it might be, and all the, the different customs that are passed down to reinforce that. Now he has this alone time with God out in the, the wilderness. He leaves the wilderness, he returns to Damascus. He stays there for several years. In Damascus, he's part of a church. And I wonder whether he walks in and says, okay, I'm back, I'm ready to teach you all about what it means to be a Christian. I wonder if his time in Damascus, and then ultimately he's going to go pop back to Jerusalem and then go back to his hometown of Tarsus. And, And in those two settings, I don't know what sort of leadership position he had. He may have had to adopt the role of a student, of learning what it is to to be a follower of Jesus, of of learning teachings of Jesus, and uh, continuing to grow in his understanding of how Jesus fulfilled the scriptures with which he was so familiar. And then um, the, the the, the fifth thing that he gets is the endorsement of the other apostles. And isn't that meaningful for us that, that sometimes people will just say, yeah, you're doing the right thing. Right? Have, you, have you ever needed that? You ever needed somebody just to come along and say, yeah, you're doing the right thing. Right? You're like, no, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'm making this decision. I know this is the right thing to do. I'm going to do it no matter what. But then somebody comes along and they say, yeah, I think you're right. And, and no matter how confident you'd seemed just a moment before, hearing that from them, uh, means an awful lot. So that was Paul. I want to ask, where do we go for answers? And this is where I want to finish today, right? Because we don't have a big circumcision debate in the church. And so it, it's, it's Paul's travels. They're interesting. You know, we could show videos of each of these places and turn it into a, a travel log, you know. But what's the, what's the purpose of this for us? I think the purpose is to understand the reason Paul is having this conversation, the reason he's sharing his journey, is because people are questioning his authority, questioning his faith. Paul, how do you know the right thing to do about Gentiles becoming people of God. And so the process that he goes through is one that we can benefit from because we're going to come to a situation where we say, what is the right thing for me to do in this situation? What is the right thing for this church to do? What is the right thing for me to do? What's the right thing for my friend, my family member to do? And so when we, we're looking for answers, how do we do this? And so I think the first thing that we do is we, we fall back and say, is there an answer in Scripture? And, and 
And, and that's not something that you can wake up one morning and you go, well, I haven't read my Bible for the last five years, but I've got this difficult situation. And, and so I think I'm just going to flop my Bible open and, and I'm sure the answer will be there. God will speak to me that way. And I've heard people that, that say things like that and I have no doubt that God sometimes works like that. But Paul didn't, uh, was a little more intentional than that. Paul had spent years training, not just reading the Bible on his own, but sitting in classes, following rabbis, answering questions that were put to him, so that when he's confronted with a difficult situation, he's got something to fall back upon. So it's the reading, the knowledge of Scriptures, but also the teaching that he had received, the training. Now, Paul goes down to Arabia. I don't think we need pilgrimages to Arabia and to Mount Sinai in order to be able to answer questions and navigate our lives. But I think that time alone with God is a way for God to speak to us. It, it's in those, those times where we're alone with God that sometimes the, the questions arise. Like sometimes we realize we have questions we didn't know that we had because of that time with God. Whether it be reading Scripture, whether it be speaking to Him, whether it just be sitting there, that, that God is able to speak to us in those moments. Perhaps we recall a Scripture, we recall a sermon, we recall a word that somebody said. Sometimes it may just be a feeling, sometimes it may be an urge to act or to move in a particular direction, but time spent with God, equips us for handling the difficulties of life. Sometimes it's just the, the, the experience of that relationship and the, the faith, the certainty, the hope, the comfort that comes from spending that time with Him. The third place that we can go for answers is one that I think maybe sometimes we're a little uncomfortable with, and that is the traditions of the church. And you might say, what do I mean by traditions? And I'm not saying, you know, that uh, we have a tradition that, I don't know, all men should wear hats, okay, when they come to worship. And we go, that's a tradition of the church. And, oh, I draw great comfort from that and I'm closer to God. No, when I talk about traditions of the church, it's sort of what I'm saying is like some of the practices. What about our hymns, right? You know what our hymns are? They're a tradition of the church. They don't come from the Bible. I mean, one or two of them maybe, but, you know, I mean, by and large, they're written by a person. We sing them over and over and over again, and, and we learn them. Why do we learn them? They've become a tradition. They've become part of who we are. Okay? Um, even the Lord's Supper, if it's something that's instructed to us to do, but it, it's a practice that, that we do as our church. This is what we do. This is how we do it. We do it differently. We have somebody that reads Scripture and then talks a little bit in most cases. Some, some churches, they just read a Scripture and straight into it. Some don't even read a Scripture. They just say prayers and straight into it. So the way we do these things, and, and again, we, we, we can uh, call on these experiences, these traditions. I was at a, a church uh, back in Australia. We used to have a half-hour morning tea time between Bible class and worship. 
And, and, and a half hour, that's a long gap. And you say, oh, the morning is going to be really long now because we've got you know, all this time for Bible class, then half an hour, and then worship, and that makes it longer. But the relationships and the visiting and the time that we had in that half hour you know, was something that was important to us. But that's a tradition. Lawson Road, we have 15 minutes at the moment, right? And I'm not lobbying for more, you know, but um, it, some churches, it's just you've got 10 minutes to get to where you need to be. Right? And, and so these things are traditions. They uh, communicate values to us. But the traditions become something that we can fall back on, that build our faith when they're constructive, when they're helpful. Not all traditions are, right? But some are. And then there is, and this is perhaps related, but the experience in the church. Right? The, the relationships that we build, the people that we see, the, 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 the way others handle situations, the teaching that we receive, the prayers and the people that pray for us, the people that we pray for, the experience of being part of a church family helps us to navigate difficult situations when they arise in our lives. And then I think the, the last one I have is that sometimes, and this is again related to being part of the church family, is that we just need endorsement. Sometimes we need to, to come to somebody that we know and, and, and we say, this is what I feel like God wants me to do. What do you think? Yeah. But, but it may not, I mean, they, sometimes we also need rejection, like just to be clear. It's like, don't, don't say yes to everyone. But um, sometimes we just need endorsement. But the endorsement doesn't always have to be for our, our idea or our decision. I think particularly about young people, don't they just need endorsement? For who they are you know that we're glad you're here we're glad in the way that you're growing but it's not just our young people right that aren't there people all across the spectrum that you're glad to see them on a sunday and 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 doesn't don't you think when we verbalize that rather than just sort of oh it's good to see them or you get home and you get at lunch and you say oh it's good to see that person right and 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 in the meantime they've gone home and they think oh nobody even noticed i was there Right? And so the endorsement, the acceptance, the belonging, the family, this helps us when we reach our difficult situations, uh, when we have questions, when we don't know which way to turn. I think that's the message that Paul has for the Galatians. Because of my life experience, because of the way God has worked in me, I have authority, right? I, I can make some, I can teach you. God has been working in my life. And I'm not telling you that I'm the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter or anyone else or that I have the authority like that. But I do believe that we can learn that God is working in our lives, that we can act with confidence, that he supports us to live and make decisions that bring honor and glory to him. Today is Mission Sunday. We've mentioned that it's about our collection, you know, being devoted to missions, you know, in the next year. And we're really glad that we're able to do that as a congregation. Our, our giving, you know, is such that we can say, hey, two weeks of the year, we'll dedicate to other purposes, okay? And it doesn't hurt us as a church at all. We meet our budget, we pay our bills, you know. Um, 
And, and so that, that's all good. We're, we're able to do that. We're blessed. Um, it's interesting as we go through Galatians that really it's a mission situation, right? These questions, how do we handle that with authority? It doesn't, you know, in Honduras or in, in um, Mozambique, you know, they're asking the same questions. They're confronting different cultural issues. And they're like, yeah, how do we take Paul in Galatia and apply it to people in Mozambique or Honduras or Nicaragua, wherever it is that they're, they're from? And, and, and we do that here. And so likewise in West Springfield, uh, their big Let's Start Talking ministry, they have so many refugees, people of other cultures that they're working with. And so this, this, we encounter situations in which we're uncertain that maybe we haven't thought of or didn't expect. And so what I want to do just as I close today is I want to uh, pray for our mission works, right? Because it's great that we can give the money. They need it, right? They need it uh, to be able to continue what they're doing. Um, but we want to keep, keep them in prayer, uh, with the work that they're doing. And I hope you found the reports that Lewis has brought us this month also to be encouraging of what they're doing. And it's a reminder to us that we also are a mission work, right? That, that we're taking God's influence where we go. And as we do that, we'll find circumstances and situations that uh, we don't have the answers for. Because there's a lot of people out there different from us and we don't have to leave travel very far from our doorstep to find them will you pray with me father god i just thank you that you you love us lord um in, in a real sense jesus was a missionary to to this planet as he left heaven and came and lived amongst us and lord we uh, are so grateful that he did that we're so grateful for the example that he set us, the life and the teaching that motivate and inspire us. Father, uh, we as a church are um, blessed um, more than perhaps that we realize and we, we rejoice that we're able to join with you and with your uh, church in the bigger picture of the, the word, um, spreading your gospel, your good news around the world. And Lord, we pray today specifically for the, the works and the, the members of the churches, the ministers, the leaders uh, in West Springfield, uh, in, in Rhode Island, Lord. For the Baxter Institute as they both train ministers and church workers and, in, and as they uh, carry out their own mission work in that location during that training. Lord, we pray that you bless them, that you raise up leaders that are able to be used by you for many uh, years to come throughout Central and South America. And we're, we thank you for the small part we have in that. Lord, we uh, are inspired by the example of the Wester Homes and their long-term commitment to a country on the other side of the world. Um, Lord, most of us have trouble putting Mozambique on a, on a map, and yet they've lived there sharing your good news for so long with uh, people there, translating uh, your word into the local language, um, serving refugees, Father. We, we just thank you as we see your love lived out in their lives, and we pray that you will uh, continue to protect them, to, uh, to use them uh, 
and that the churches there eventually will, uh, will not need them, Lord, that, that they will be um, strong churches for you and representing your kingdom in that country. Father, we pray for our mission, that, that we will also be people who want to see your word spread, who want to share your love with others, even when that puts us into circumstances that we may not have the answers for. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for all the good that you've done in our lives. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.